It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by the founder and CEO of Hermitage Capital Management and the author of a new book, Freezing Order, a true story of money laundering, murder, and surviving Vladimir Putin's wrath. Bill Browder, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Glad to be here. So we, um, you know, obviously have been processing all of the news coming out of Ukraine from the ground, um, you know, since the beginning of this invasion. As we as we come on air this morning, I mean, how are how are you feeling this week? All of the experts and everything I'm reading, it sounds very sober. Um, it's very sobering, um, and the predictions are that this will be the bloodiest phase. Um, I don't know how that's supposed to compare yeah. to what we've already seen. Um, but how do you assess things um, today? Um, not well. Uh, uh, basically, Putin has been humiliated. Uh, he the, the sinking of his flagship, the Moskva, last week, the um, annihilation of 20,000 soldiers and destruction of all his of all sorts of tanks and so on he looks like a weak um ineffective leader and the reason he started this war in my opinion is to get everybody in russia to rally around the flag to have a foreign enemy to shore up his position and if the russians had any idea of what what's going on they would be really doubting him at this point and and he he must be terrified of that and so what does a dictator do in a situation like this? Uh, he escalates. And um, as you mentioned, it's going to get bloodier, but it's not going to be the bloodiest because it's going to get even bloodier than whatever, whatever we see now is going to get worse in the future. Putin has really backed himself into a corner. He's not winning this war and um, he can't afford to lose it. And as, as he escalates, things are just going to get worse and worse. And so I just, my heart breaks for what I've already seen, but it breaks for what I know is going to happen in the future. As, as somebody who probably has a better sense of Putin's financial dealings than just about anybody else on the planet, <laughs> um, what has been your sense of the sanctions that we have levied against Russia during this conflict? Do they, do they go far enough? Do they actually do that? It's lovely to see the yachts taken away, but are they actually hitting him where it hurts? Um, well, the answer is yes and no. So these are the most um, widespread, devastating sanctions that have ever been applied to any country in history of sanctions, which is good. However, if we, if we start to do the math and just look at the accounting of this whole story, every day Putin spends a billion dollars on this war, and every day the West, and I mean mostly Western Europe, give Putin a billion dollars a day for oil and gas. Wow. And so kind of, e even if we freeze all their money, which we've done sort of more or less, um, it's kind of a wash that he, he continues to get enough money every day to kill Ukrainians. And so it's gonna be really hard for the Germans and the Italians and the Austrians who are so, become so dependent on Russian gas and oil, but they're gonna have to stop because we, we can't afford to have 
Ukraine be decimated in this way because if if he succeeds in Ukraine, he's going to be fighting us next. In terms of the way that he's able to sort of, for lack of a better word, like hoard wealth and and sort of like in cor- through corrupt means um, amass so much wealth for himself and for his cronies and the other oligarchs. Like, can you unpack for us how this corruption works? I don't think I have a good understanding yet of like how this is able to happen and the corruption um, works with the propaganda to shield the public from being mad about this. Right. I mean, I think if corruption were, I mean, we have corruption here in this country, but it's nowhere near where it is in Russia. And if it was, I think people would be in the streets. Um, Yeah. You're 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 right. Yeah. Well, well, so, so um, since, Vladimir Putin came to power, which was 22 years ago. He and the people around him have stolen a trillion dollars from the Russian people. A trillion. Wow. A thousand, a thousand billion. And, and that is money. That's such a lot of money. And that's money that should have been spent on health care and education and roads and whatever, you know, what the things that governments are supposed to do. Instead, that money has been spent by these people on these super yachts. We've seen, we've now seen the pictures of them as they've been seized mm-hmm. in villas and private jets. Um, but most of that money is actually not in those yachts that, that we're enjoying watching being seized. It's in bank accounts in the Cayman Islands and British Virgin Islands and Jersey and Gibraltar and all sorts of other offshore centers. But but you're right. If 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 the Russian people um uh, who, who do, in theory, in, and I say in theory, I, I stress the word theory, have a democracy, they would get rid of the bum. That's what, the, that's what you do when somebody does mm-hmm. something like that. that that's, how, that's how democracy is supposed to work. And Putin, of course, <clears throat> doesn't want to be gotten rid of because if, he gets, if he's gotten rid of, then the, the money goes back to the people, he goes to jail, and he probably dies. And so he's got to desperately stay in power. And that's what this war is all about. It's not about NATO in, in enlargement or, or Ukrainians wanting to join the European Union, this war is purely and simply uh, a wag the dog war, basically a, a war to distract the Russian people from their anger against a president who's stealing all their money. Wow. And, well, and was, that the, was that also the impetus um, in his intervention in the 2016 U.S. presidential race, that was that was also in response to the freezing of his money. This is this is the story that you tell in in your book, Freezing Order. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that prompted the 2016 aggression over here, and and how that relates to today? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it all comes back to a, a murder, one one a murder right. of one man, a murder of a man I know very well. He was my lawyer. His name was Sergei Magnitsky. He was murdered for uncovering a relatively small, by these standards of the numbers we've just been throwing out, he uncovered a $230 million corruption scheme in which the Russians stole $230 million of taxes that my company paid to the Russian government. Sergei exposed it, and in retaliation, he was arrested, tortured for 358 days, and murdered in Russian police custody. And so then I made it my life's work afterwards. I dropped my life as a businessman and I made it my work to go after the people who killed him. And that ended up becoming a piece of legislation in America called the Magnitsky Act, which freezes the assets 
and bans the visas of the people who killed him and the people who do similar types of human rights abuses. Um, Vladimir Putin, who is a man who was um, involved in the, the Magnitsky case and involved in many other murders and other terrible atrocities, understood that his own money would be at risk by this piece of legislation. And he went crazy when it passed. He went so crazy that he banned the adoption of Russian orphans by American families. He made it his single largest foreign policy priority to repeal the Magnitsky Act. And um, none of that worked. And, and so he, uh, he upped the ante and he got involved in the 2016 election. And he knew that if Hillary Clinton had won, that the Magnitsky Act would be further applied to him and his cronies. And he thought if Donald Trump wins, it wouldn't. And so he actually sent an emissary to Trump Tower um, mm -hmm. on June 9th, 2016, a woman named Natalia Veselnitskaya to meet with Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and Paul Manafort with a specific request to repeal the Magnitsky Act. And this is before Trump was elected, if he gets elected. Now, I'm, so I'm happy when we to... discussed that as being about adoption, we weren't entirely correct, is what you're saying. Well, uh, it, um, <laughs> that, that, was, that was the smokescreen that they put up because remember, Putin had banned the adoptions of Russian orphans in retaliation mm -hmm. um, to the Magnitsky Act. It was all about the Magnitsky Act. Nobody is right. no, nobody nobody is, is is debating that 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 was acknowledged by everybody at the meeting. It was all about getting rid of the Magnitsky Act, and and that is that's what Putin hates, and and he hates it, and he hated it for a great reason, which is that he knew it, that was going to come for him, and and and. And that was, this is now the template that, that's being used against all these guys to freeze their assets all over the world. And so it's kind of as uh, what this one murder has led to, to one of the main policies um, to, to respond to this terrible atrocity that's going on. Wow. Talk a little bit about um, what happened at that time once they began freezing the money, like Putin retaliated against you specifically. So as oh, yeah. I think probably, yeah. I, I mean, you're probably the, the, our audience doesn't usually get to hear the voice of somebody who Putin has personally targeted. So can you just explain for them sort of what sort of conditions you were put through? What, what did that look like? What did that feel like? Well, so Putin made it his, his political priority to repeal the Magnitsky Act and he made it his personal vendetta to go after me. And, and that, that, that took the form of death threats, um, of kidnapping threats, um, of arrest warrants, Interpol arrest warrants. I mean, just to give you a couple examples. So um, in, in, at the World Economic Forum in Davos in 2013, um, Dmitry Medvedev, who, had, who was then the prime minister, um, was, was giving a uh, closed door briefing to journalists. And uh, one of the journalists asked him, um, well, tell us, you know, what you're doing about the Magnitsky killing. And, um, and, he, and Medvedev, who, who is the second most powerful Russian official, said it's too bad that, that Sergei Magnitsky is dead and Bill Browder is still alive and running around. Uh, the, um, the, the general prosecutor of Russia uh, made a public statement, said Bill Browder shouldn't sleep peacefully at night. And, um, and then, of course, the... the, the um, the one that many people might have actually heard about was at the summit between uh, Trump and Putin in 2018 in Helsinki. Uh, it was right after Robert Mueller had indicted 12 Russian military intelligence mm -hmm. officers. And, mm -hmm. and, and the question was, was Putin going to hand them over? And Putin was asked this question in the press conference. And he said, 
uh, yeah, I'll hand them over if if uh, President Trump hands over Bill Browder. And then the journalists went to Trump and, and they said, what do you think? And he said, I think it's an incredible offer. Yep. Oh my God. I remember that. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Um, I mean, one of the things I think we don't understand is the larger plans that Vladimir Putin has, like when he's doing specific things, right? So if he's meddling in our election, that there's a there's a purpose behind that, you know, more bigger than like, you know, he likes Donald Trump, which is like, I think what message a lot of Americans got from our media, like, oh, Putin likes Trump and Trump likes Putin. That's why this is happening. And there, I mean, I think what what you have illustrated is that there's a there's a much deeper and darker um, set of reasons because he has, um, you know, larger goals about trying to basically hoard the trillion dollars of wealth, as you've explained. I mean, what how how does um, what he was doing in the election in 2016 and his personal attacks on you and sort of signaling out the people that are working against his corruption, like how is that representative of how he's behaving right now in this war? I mean, part of what I've sort of been watching from the beginning is like his desperation, right? It feels, it feels like that's just getting worse and worse. Um, is there anything in your experience that, you know, you can glean from his treatment of you that could help us understand his treatment of the Ukrainian civilian population right now? I mean, attacking one man by name as the president of Russia feels desperate, right? But I think that yeah. is, it, it illustrates sort of some of the things, um, it illustrates uh, dynamics of some of the things he's doing now. And it's helping me sort of what you're explaining about how he treated you is helping me understand mm-hmm. why he's behaving this way towards Ukraine. Yeah. So I was I was a microcosm of the whole problem we're seeing today. You know, mm-hmm. what's happened to me is happening a million times over to the Ukrainians. And so so what have I learned from my fight with Putin? Um, the first and most important thing is that when he, he when he starts a battle, he only escalates. There is never a moment, no matter how self-destructive his escalation may be, that he backs down. There's never an agreement. There's never a compromise. In his mind, the only possible outcome is total annihilation of his enemy. He's tried that with me. He's tried that with other enemies. He's trying that with Ukraine. And so we have to prepare ourselves for that as, the, as, as his stance, is that he's not gonna, there's not going to be a peace treaty. Any peace negotiations, it's a waste of time to even focus on them because they're, they're not held in good faith. All, the only purpose of a peace negotiation is, is to buy time or to you know, rearm or whatever. And so he's a total escalator, no reverse gear, and he's not going to do anything other than try to completely dominate and annihilate Ukraine. The other thing I've learned is that whenever we've had successes, and we've had many in our campaign to expose him, where all of the ill-gotten gains and all sorts of other things have been fully exposed, and we thought, okay, you know, we've won. <laughs> and then he just does something, he doesn't care. It, it doesn't matter what the truth is. And so, all, all, you know, we can expose massive war crimes in Bucha, and then he gives the, um, uh, the war criminals medals as he did yesterday yeah uh uh, he he doesn't care what it looks like and then 
And, and it doesn't matter what the truth is. He will just say the opposite and repeat it over and over and over again. This that there's a you know, famous Nazi propagandist, Goebbels. And, and this is, you know, Putin has studied him and, and is repeating what he does as a, as a matter of, of policy every day. And so this is going to go on. It's going to be terrible. Um, we're, we're, we're going to have little moments of victory, like the sinking of that flagship thinking, ah, we've got them. And he's just going to continue doing more and more terrible things. That's, that's my, what my experience tells me is going to happen in Ukraine. Do you see a set of circumstances or a set of conditions where there is a way out? Or is, is, that, is that your prediction, regardless of what action other forces take? There is no way out. And, and we should stop, immediately stop and never repeat this word off-ramp again. We, we don't want to give him an off-ramp because he'll, there is no, he's not going to take an off-ramp. If we give him an off-ramp, you just take it and carry on escalating. And we, we shouldn't, there is, there is only one solution to this whole problem, which is a total um, unconditional defeat of Vladimir Putin by the Ukrainians. And anything else is not going to work. There's no way we can do business with this man ever again. He's a criminal. He's a war criminal. He's a serial killer. Um, and and so and 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 nor does he have any interest in in doing anything other than destroying Ukraine and then moving on to to the next country. And and the, the other thing I would say, by the way, and and I think we've all seen this with our own eyes now, is that he's not as as all encompassing and all powerful and all dangerous as he makes himself out to be. Mm-hmm. He's he's incompetent. His his military is incompetent. The whole thing is hollowed out. And so when he makes threats, we should just listen to his threats and move forward and continue to do whatever we can to make his life miserable. That makes me feel better, but also worse. So, I mean, I feel like, you know, it's, it's on the one hand, you know, the fact that he's incompetent means that he can be beaten by competent people who are working together um, towards, towards that goal. Um, but it also means that there could be mistakes and accidents that happen as a result of his escalation. And that's actually been my biggest fear from the beginning. Um, in, in terms of previous examples, I mean, the incompetent, we were joking earlier in the show about, you know, the one Russian soldier who stole AirPods because he looted a village and now everyone's tracking him on Twitter because the AirPods have GPS <laughs> tracking <laughs> capabilities <laughs> so you can see him on the map walking around and <laughs> we know where the Russian soldier is. I mean, like, we laugh at that, but I mean... You know, that's one one example of incompetence. But another is the Ukrainian, uh, excuse me, the Russian soldiers who took um, radioactive material from Chernobyl um, in Ukraine uh, and uh, both were exposed to it themselves. But we don't know what they're, they're why they took it, um, you know, and so there's the funny examples and then there's the really, really scary ones. I mean, when you think of like the consequence of his incompetence. The worst consequence. What do you think of? Nuclear war. Ah, yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I mean, basically, he, he doesn't care. He, he has, he, he's, he's sitting in a bunker somewhere right now thinking that he's going to survive the nuclear war. He, he will set off a nuclear bomb either in Ukraine or, or somewhere else if he thinks that's going to help um, cow all of us, to terrify us into submission. That's, that's, he has no empathy, no sense of responsibility, no sense of legacy. All he cares about is survival. 
what I'm screaming so, silently inside of my heart I know <laughs> I know what like what does that actually look like to you like when you say nuclear war what does that mean well I think um at, at the first step he's going if um if he sees it to his advantage and he's continuing to lose in Ukraine there's a moment when he might say, say okay we're going to totally you know set off a nuclear bomb on a on a city in Ukraine and kill 100,000 or 200,000 people and mm -hmm. you know destroy you know miles around of you know with radioactive waste that would i mean it's totally within his his um psychology to do that and then and then it's your and then and then he just moves on to the next country like it it doesn't it's it's it's, it's like well, so, literally world domination that we're looking at here right so that, then he looks around at us and he points a bunch of missiles at washington berlin and london and he says okay do you guys want to have a nuclear war with me i just showed you that i could do it and then all of a sudden we're having all these discussions on our talk shows about okay maybe we need to like you know agree with him that he can have all the countries of eastern europe or something like that i mean that, that's his that's that's how he wants to play it yep yeah and and it's about money it all comes back to money and power for him specifically that's the driving force behind this it's not about mother russia it's not about reconstituting the empire it's it's about if, if, if anyone if anyone the billions if anyone tells you that, that this is like some kind of grand vision of legacy, they're wrong for one simple mm. reason. No person who cares about the legacy of their country would have stolen a trillion dollars and let the country rot into, into, into nothing. What That's a good what point done. that is. That is, the, that is actually a point that no one else makes. Everyone says that it's some sort of grand theory. Everyone says yeah, that he cares about Russia. it's some sort of, you know, he it's, wants to create, you know, the old Russia, the one Russia vision, like it, they repeat what he's saying in the speeches. He's a liar in his speeches. He, yeah. He's he's giving those speeches for for the, for, for public consumption. Right. You know he he's like if you, you watch that that show the Tinder swind the Tinder swindler. I mean he's just a mm -hmm. compulsive liar like that guy in that show. I it helps me to understand that that really yeah. helps. one because it humanizes him right. I mean I feel like one of the things that we do with dictators and people who are in positions of power like this is we make them larger than life like he's not a guy he's a person right so and and i think when you talk about him being a compulsive liar lying comes from deep insecurity that humanizes he, I mean, and, and, him for me and, and, well i mean we don't want to humanize him too much because well i mean in, 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 the sense, in the in the sense that he's still a monster absolutely but what i'm saying is like he's not he when when you humanize him that means that we can all collectively work together, as you're saying, as the world. He's not a supervillain. Exactly. Right. He doesn't have just superpowers. No, of course not. And 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 this is a, a he's a tiny little man. He's 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 like, you know, I mean, he's he's truly a tiny little man who obviously got like viciously beaten up all the time when he was a child, and and has just got a terrible terrible chip on his shoulder and just thinks everybody's out to get him, and and assumes that everybody is is like is going to harm him and he needs to harm them in the most vicious ways before they get to him that he's just a tiny paranoid little man greedy little man that's how you have to think of vladimir putin and i like that image how imagery. Uh, yes no it's helpful it's genuinely helpful because he gets he gets so, like mythologized right it's that's it's what like we need that's the right word. yeah See, english major it <laughs> it's not about like humanizing him so we can sympathize it's about humanizing him so we can diminish him that's um, exactly right that's you're half my how brain. well how well do you think the the propaganda is working on the russian people 
Like, are they are they with Putin on mass? It's so hard to tell because, of course, you don't have like you know objective polling in Russia. But like, do they see through this, or are they are are they fully bought in? Fully bought in. They're fully bought right. in because they have no alternative. And I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you an interesting. So they, they they've cut off all 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 forms of information that comes into Russia. All media outlets have been closed. It's just state media. And, they're, and, and the state media is telling an entirely different story about what's going on here. And it's not a story that is in any way consistent with what's really going on. And, and so, uh, I mean, it's, you know, when, when you see the headlines and, and, and you, you know, you can say, well, the Russians, you know, they, they have access to VPN and internet, they can get the other story. But if you're, if, if you're just constantly bombarded with a story, which is a story of Putin being a heroic savior, he's doing a humanitarian intervention into Ukraine to save all these people from Nazi killers, and then saying that all the pictures in Bucha are what the Ukrainians did to their own people. That's that's how the Russians believe this thing is playing itself out right now. And and the propaganda works, and these approval ratings are real. Well, well, this has been incredibly helpful in understanding um, what we're dealing with today. And, uh, and this is not ancient history. Like the story that you're telling in this book is you know recent (laughs) it's in the last decade even so the book is freezing order a true story of money laundering murder and surviving vladimir putin's wrath bill browder thank you so much for joining us this morning this has just been hugely illustrative thank you we'll be back tomorrow with another signal boost podcast Thanks for listening. 